0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Integrity Matters by Turnitin. My name is Chooks and with me in the house today is Dave Tomar, author and managing editor Influence Networks. Hello Dave. Hi Chooks, thanks for having me. Likewise. Um, So today we're going to be discussing confronting academic dishonesty in learning environments. So before we begin, I just want to get a sense of who you are, where you've been and um, what your background is. Can you tell us a little bit about your academic and professional background
1: and what excites you about the work you do at Influence Network? Uh, yeah, well, the, uh, the short version is that uh, right out of college, uh, I began work full-time uh, helping students cheat for a living. I was an aspiring writer and a, a Rutgers University graduate uh, in, in the state of New Jersey uh, here in the United States and uh i struggled to find paying work uh, but quickly found that uh students uh, at the college and grad school level were uh very very happy to pay me uh, for my services so uh out of necessity that that is what i began doing and uh you know i, I never suspected that i would spend a decade in in that line of work uh but Uh, I learned a lot, uh, both, uh, uh, you know, in terms of developing my writing skills and and exploring uh, every discipline under the sun, uh, but also about how the educational system works and many of the things that are wrong with it. I get a unique inside view. Uh, So when I left that line of work, I I became, in essence, a a whistleblower. Uh, I began to tell my story um, with uh, with some self-incriminating candor. Uh, and uh, I have been fortunate to spend the last decade plus uh, really sharing everything I know. Uh, Influence Networks, uh, you know, really in particular has given me a, a tremendous platform uh, to help students and uh, to to ho- also hopefully help educators and, and give them a, a greater understanding, at least from my perspective, of why students cheat. And so that's That's really what excites me about the work that I do today is that uh, after being on the wrong side of the educational tracks for so long, uh, I have a shot at redemption, as it were, a chance to uh, do something good and and to help students and and educators.
0: Sounds like a case of catch me if you can. That um, was that um, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's who was able to help the FBI actually work out why um, the motivations behind and the tactics
1: in this in this context cheated. You you absolutely nailed that because that that uh, that film was front and center in my head as I was uh, you know working through my book. I don't imagine myself Leonardo DiCaprio, but uh, beyond that, there were parallels, and I and I did consider them. <laughs>
0: Uh, On that that front, my first question would be around just understanding the motivations for cheating um, and just to get a sense from you, from your experience, professional experience preferably, what do you think is the motivation for cheating and why do we see a rise in cheating cases?
1: You know, it's easy to to point to an entire spectrum of reasons and it's easy to say that there are um, lazy and privileged students, uh, you know, who would rather not do the work. Uh, But I really tend to focus on and and think from my experience that the the greatest source of cheating is academic desperation, Uh, that it's that there is a desperation that students feel uh, that in most cases comes from academic deficiency, Uh, that, that these are students who are in over their heads by the time they've arrived at higher education. And, uh, you know, rather than drown, many of them resort to cheating. Uh, and, and, you know, especially in light of COVID and the learning loss that students have experienced, the the deep motivational effects that it has had, that kind of academic desperation is, I think, more acute and more magnified now than it has ever been.
0: What I'm hearing there is the academic desperation potentially be one of the motivations why students are cheating, and it's probably been worse with the COVID and being in the pandemic setting. Was that your understanding of the problem at this stage?
1: Yeah, that I mean that's the way I see it, and I from the the experience that I had working with students day in day out for ten years and having firsthand uh, encounters with cheating students and knowing their mindset and simply reading their their emails. You get this insight into students that, that literally don't have the uh, academic wherewithal to succeed. You know, students who will send me emails that are uh, riddled with grammar errors, that, uh, you, you know, riddled with uh, punctuation mistakes, and uh, they are, they're seeking help on a 60-page uh, thesis statement. So you, you see how difficult it is for them to write an email, and you ask yourself, how would this student ever write this thesis statement?
0: What would you say is the reason or how do students actually get away with cheating and how can we begin to understand this
1: problem? Well, you know, theres I can't necessarily speak to how things are in, uh, in larger universities uh, in, in Australia or, or New Zealand, but I know here uh, there are very, very large and impersonal higher education experiences. Uh, that make it very, very easy to be an anonymous face in the crowd. Uh, and uh, whether that's because you're in a 400-person lecture or because uh, there is a grader who is reviewing your work instead of a professor with whom you've actually interacted, uh, or increasingly because you're in an online class and you feel that that uh, anonymity is is uh, only magnified, uh, it, it's... Uh, it's easy to get away with it because it's easy to be a face in the crowd uh i I, at Rutgers university i experienced this firsthand because so many of my lectures uh took place in such large halls i i scarcely interacted with any of my professors uh and i i know it to be the same for the people who became my customers there
0: Mm, that's quite interesting (laughs) Um, The other side of the uh, the spectrum is there are academics who definitely want to understand what this problem is, but they would also want to know, and I'm just leaning in um, from the perspective that your written work is focused on mostly higher education. Would you say that academic dishonesty cases can be seen across different sectors, or would you just say um, it's mostly in um, higher education?
1: Well, it it certainly exists across uh, other sectors, but, you know, the stakes are so much higher when you get to college uh, and grad school because of the expense uh, and because of what is implied by earning a degree. So there is a a more transactional nature to higher education that absolutely makes it uh, more tempting uh, and in the minds of some students, perhaps more pragmatic. To put it bluntly, if you're paying $200,000 for a degree and failing a class might risk that investment, spending a couple thousand dollars on help with your uh, papers and essays uh, might be seen as a, a, a rational expense, at, le- at least if that's if the alternative is failing. Uh, but I would say that In other educational sectors, there is a certain continuity. What I see in higher education are students that arrive there without the skills that they need. Uh, So that is a deficiency that starts in public education. That's a deficiency that starts in a context where students, uh, again, this is in America where students are uh, spending so much time on uh, standardized testing that perhaps they're not learning how to write.
0: We know what the problem is. We know what the motivations are. We know, um, from what I'm hearing, um, it's probably more, um, I would say, tantalizing that when you're in university or in any higher education, the risk is higher. So that increases the motivation to cheat. All academics who are currently watching or trying to get learn from your experience, what would you say are some of the challenges that they would face or they're currently facing in terms of Investigating and detecting academic dishonesty—you
1: know, detection, especially from the perspective of being a human being as opposed to a, a, a machine learning instrument attempting to do it—you uh, know, it's certainly not an exact science, and there's certainly uh, no silver bullet for it. But you know, step one, and this is a challenge for educators logistically, is to know your students. Uh, now, if you're a lecturer in a in a two 100 person, hall. Oh, I'm not totally sure how you do that. Um, but, you know, it, in, it strikes me that it's a lot easier to cheat uh, by using somebody else's voice if the educator never really knows your voice. Um, and that means whether they know your voice personally and in conversation and in class discussion, through office hours, or through in class writing, uh, you know, these are all ways that you might get to know the voice of a student. Uh, And because there is no silver bullet, it's all about triangulating evidence. So if you know the voice of the student and you receive a sample that is not consistent with that, then, you know, that's step one in raising a red flag. Uh, So, you know, in the conversation of of detection as opposed to prevention, which is, I I know when we talk about academic deficiencies, that's where where I'm pointing. But in terms of detection, it starts with knowing who your students are and what their voices are.
0: I just had an idea. Um, maybe part of the solution would be maybe smaller classes, maybe more providing opportunities for um, teaching assistants to work closely with uh, groups of five to 10. And that could also help. But I know there's also the controversy about uh, <laughs> how much work are we going to be giving to the TAs and how do we manage mm-hmm. the TAs and all of that stuff. But yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's a big conundrum. Well, we get you me know, okay, started on paying TAs better so that they have the, the time and resources to do that work. I think, you know, that that might be a tangent, but I, I think that's probably something most of us on this side can agree on. Yeah, Let's discuss um, the ins and outs of ghostwriting
0: and what educators could look out for when reviewing reading work for students. You've been there Um very brave of you to admit that um, you helped student sheet, but it also, this is also an opportunity for people to learn or educators to learn what they should look out for.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, in lieu of actually getting to know your students and know their voices, you know, one of the, one of the best tools is to expect them to acknowledge things that they have learned in the classroom in the written work. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that you can teach a ghost writer or train a ghost writer to do. Uh, you know, it's very, very easy to provide source material and, and things like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, requiring a student to actually reference in-class discussion, that's that's a bit harder to fake. At, at that point, the the customer will ultimately have to relate so much information to the writer that, you know, that, that burden might already be on them to just write the work. Um so again uh no silver bullets but you know it, it's easy to give students generic writing work and frankly commonplace and I can tell you because of the cookie cutter um essays not just that I wrote because I was a ghostwriter getting you know paid for the page but because the cookie cutter assignments were coming from educators uh and I'd see the same uh, sort of uh, basic prefab assignments and, and assemble them as I went along. Uh, and as, as a ghostwriter, you sort of get good at going through the motions with the subjects you're used to dealing with. Uh, if you require students to show the insights that they've actually accumulated in class, that, that might be something different.
0: Uh, I'm just going to do a stretch there. What in in certain instances where yes, I get I do you understand your, the needs for students to cite or reference um, insights they get in class. In the instance of educators who rely heavily on slide decks or presentations, isn't there a possibility that a student can share the same slide deck um, with a ghostwriter just to mimic our yep the Box that they are able to share insights that are shared in
1: in class 100%. You know, which again is exactly why having that personal interaction with your students is the number one fail safe. You know, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you can fake anything, and I can give you all the tips for uh detecting and identifying. And you know, in my book, I, I really do get into the weeds in it, uh, but. Uh, You know, I I think all of them sort of rely on this preliminary step, which is greater engagement between educators and students. And, you know, look at, you know, to your idea of putting students in smaller, smaller settings. Um, yes, it's a logistical. It addresses, I think it's an opportunity to address the even bigger problem here, which is that there are students at the college level who need academic right. intervention. And if you want to identify the students that need this intervention and actually assist them, getting into these smaller settings can make it a, a lot more feasible.
0: Mm, yeah, I actually agree with that. I think even with the smaller settings, you're able to understand um, how students express themselves, and when you see the when you see the the difference in their writing, you're able to question: This is not how you sound. But this is what you submitted. Uh, I think over time, and in, in instances where an academic or an educator is with a student from the beginning of a course till the graduate, it actually helps them better know the student because if they've done it in one class, there's still challenges there because a student can fake it to make it at the end, if you know what I mean. According to your book, one of the things i uh, will oh, my research, based on your book, is the early detection during um, admission essays. Now, then, admission essays are very popular in, I'll say, from my experience, America and most parts of Africa. Um, the Asia Pacific, uh, maybe Europe, did admission essays may or may not be happening. What What are other ways of detecting academic misconduct early in institutions?
1: Well, you know, uh, I think it's less about detecting, and this is why, uh, in fact, I stressed, you know, admission essays. It's really about prevention through writing intervention. You know, the, one of one of the reasons I brought up admission essays is because it's just this early opportunity to see what the voice of the student sounds like, uh, and more importantly, to maybe have a diagnostic for what their writing abilities are, so that you can. Uh, intervene in an academic way. And and so, you know, to me, any opportunity uh, that you can create where you can get that writing diagnostic from a student. So if we're not talking about admission essays, we're talking about students that have already been admitted. uh, And now we have to gain an honest evaluation of what their writing needs are. Uh, It sounds like something you wouldn't need to do at the higher education level. Uh, but I can tell you from experience, it is a grave need that the number of students who can't write in, in both uh, college and, and graduate school is just uh, so much uh, greater than we imagine. So I, I see this tremendous opportunity to intervene early on in a student's higher education, assess where they really are in their writing, and then provide ungraded support and assistance. You know, there are there are graded writing classes in the early levels for students that that need writing support. But I can tell you from experience that those classes are fairly flimsy and also tremendous fodder for paying work. If you happen to be a custom essay writer, those are exactly the kinds of classes that students phone in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, if the stake is not grading, if the stake is learning to write so you have a valuable learning skill and academic skill that you will need through the rest of your education. I see that as a different scenario. Uh, So in other countries and here, even in the U S where we do use admission essays pretty constantly, uh, I still think there's this other level of writing intervention that needs to occur. Uh, And so again, not, not about detection, but about prevention.
0: Okay. I think that's a very fair point there. Um, I just also want to do a little bit of a stretch on that question. Um, we have heavily involved, or oh, the majority of work that has been done in the academic integrity or this honesty space is re- usually around written work. What happens in cases where it's a mathematic or scientific um, calculation? How are those things? Do you have any experience on how
1: um, detection works early on? Uh, no, I can't. I can't speak to detection on that front. I I know that it was the kind of work I aggressively avoided. Uh, I also know that many of uh, many of the other uh, independent contractors who worked in my writing pool were all too happy to take that kind of work, uh, computer science and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I would argue that uh, that detection is even harder in those contexts, especially those contexts where maybe there's only one right answer. Um, You know. Uh, I I would be willing to offer as much uh, advice on uh, detecting math uh, dishonesty as I would be willing to offer on doing math well. So. Yeah.
0: yeah, I did remember back in engineering school, um, my lecturer back in Nigeria was very, his strategy was always sure you're working. He believed, yes, the answers might be the same, but that strategy to get to the solutions are always different. And yeah, it was very evident. There, there were days he would pull me up and say, hey, um, you, this is not the way I taught the class how to get to the solution, but you did get to the solution. What was your thinking behind it? And that was evident, even when we do um, the VIVA exams to defend your, your projects, your
1: yeah. this and all of that stuff. So well, I think- know, that, That's a perfect parallel uh, yeah. because you know the, that idea of, of showing your work is- You know, to me, it's exactly the same as getting to know your students' voice.
0: All right. While we wrap up today's conversation, in confronting academic dishonesty, most of your focus has been in the classrooms. What are some other strategies to confront these, I'll call it this big, wicked problem in other learning environments, online, hybrid, distance, education? Well, uh,
1: you know. Online education is uh, to me this is this is the most unique challenge that we face right now. Uh, you know, the the biggest issue I see with this sudden surge we've had in online education is that there is pretty limited training and and pretty flawed curriculum at, curricula and a lot of uh, academic detachment and and it's because so many schools and and so many. Um, so many districts were essentially thrust into online education without the proper preparation, you know, that makes it really easy to get away with, with cheating. It's hard enough to detect it in the classroom. Uh, If you don't have the proper training as an educator to work in an online context, uh, the idea of detecting cheating becomes, uh, you know, to be honest, becomes almost laughable. Uh, So, uh, you know, training Better training for teachers as online educators uh, is is step one. Uh, you know, there's, there's a difference between online and in-person education. And so many educators and students have been thrust into this online scenario without necessarily being made to reconcile those differences. All right. I want to say a big thank you to
0: Dave Tomar for his insights in our conversation in confronting academic dishonesty. You've shared your well-lived experience. You've been very honest and transparent in what you've experienced as well as how you're supporting the community to enhance how we do things in in this space. Thank you again for your time. Thank you, Chooks.
1: Appreciate it.